Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we're talking to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services. Some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. In the studio today, we've got Bob Borthwick, director at Scott Brothers, a family-owned and family-grown recycling, haulage and plant hire business established in Thornaby-on-Tees in Tees Valley more than 50 years ago. Down the line, we've Martin Hathaway, managing director of the Mid-Yorkshire Chamber of Commerce, which serves the Halifax, Huddersfield, Wakefield business communities and drives growth among businesses in all sizes around those districts by providing relative, uh, relevant and valuable support. And later, my colleague Joss will be speaking with Stephen Patterson, Chief Executive of NE1, which manages the Newcastle Business Improvement District, a business-led initiative which champions Newcastle City Centre, increases its competitiveness and ensure it maintains its position as one of the UK's leading cities. Well, welcome, gents. Welcome to the programme. First, Bob, uh, now before we get into the products that we've got on our table here, which are very interesting when we get into it, tell us and remind us what Scott Brothers does, because 50 years is a great time. Yeah, the the, the business has evolved over 50 years, of course, and we've got into green technologies, one of them being a soil washing facility that we've invested something like £6 million at Grangetown, some land we own at Grangetown, and we take all, uh, all of our construction excavations for washing, um, as part of that wash process, we do get at the back end, we get uh, recycled sands, recycled single sized pipe beddings and the like. And also we get a discarded filter cake from that process. That filter cake has been researched in partnership with Teesside University. And as you can see, if the camera goes on to the desk here, the table, we've got some prototype recycled bricks made out of that filter cake. I'll pick one up. They, they are nicely moulded, as you can see, but they feel like a regular brick. They they look like a mm-hmm. regular brick. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're a different colour to a regular brick. They are. I mean, the colour is part of a pigment that you can actually add a pigment into those bricks and make any sort of coloured brick that, that you like in terms of a face and brick. Yeah. So um, the, the kind of thing that they do come from is basically granular material that yeah. comes out so of construction I, waste. So Soil waste. Yeah. 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 All excavations on house building sites, civil engineering projects, all the soils excavations that we take from those, pro- those projects are washed through that washing process at Grangetown. And it may not be topsoil, I suppose, because that can be recycled. No, we recycle topsoil, yes. Yeah. But any of the subsoils that we get. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so um, I suppose that you're not going to necessarily tell us the full details of the process, but what does the process involve? Well, the, basically the process we get is those filter cake, that filter cake at the end of the process, we actually um, mould into those um, bricks and we add, or we, we are researching a binder. So we don't want to use cement as mm-hmm. such because of the energy intensity of manufacturing cement. That goes against obviously the, the grain of, 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 of using too much energy. So we're looking at some sort of recycled binder uh, which which those are part of a recycled binder process. And we are looking at, um, obviously, IPing 
the actual ingredients that goes into those manufacturing. Well, the formula, obviously, a, a state secret, but a very different to the conventional way bricks are made, which is yeah. using fires and ovens yeah, and yeah. a lot of heat, isn't yeah. it? Well, we, we use not as much heat as what a normal kiln brick, fire brick, would uh, use. But we are researching into not using any heat mm. to, manif to, to, to for the for the brick to hydrate without heat. Obviously, the um, the efficacy from the point of view of renewable uh, mm. uh, components is is brilliant. But mm. what about the price? Do you think it'll come in at a competitive price? This will come in at a competitive price. I've already had discussions with major house builders apart, uh, in Teesside and surrounding Teesside in the pro possibility and probability of their them procuring that brick once its provenance has been established. So um, clearly, uh, we believe that you've got the, the thing, you can touch it, feel it, it feels yeah, like a brick, it. but is it going to be stress tested? Is it going to be yeah. put under yeah. compression tests? Yes, and it'll so be on? all tested in the appropriate standards for the brick use in the market, definitely. Now, this is great innovation, and mm. a great innovation is going to be critical for growing the north. Let's go over to the mid Yorkshire Chamber of Commerce, Martin. Obviously, you're not in Teesside, but uh, you probably see a lot of innovation in when um, your membership. What do you what do you make of what Bob's uh, enterprise is doing? Well, I think as usual, it's great for, to hear from um, from real uh, businesses innovating in what's going to be a very important sector uh, for, uh, for for Yorkshire and the entire north um, in the future. Um, I must just trump Bob. We've been going 170 years next year, Bob. So you're, you're 50 years. <laughs> I know you, Martin. We, we are president members. <laughs> right. So um, the Chamber of Commerce, 170. You're 50 years old. My, I'm 50, my business is 35 years old. I'm well, just a baby. I'm just a baby. Um, now, Martin, um, you heard Bob's de description of what, what happened in terms of developing this product. There's a university tie-in. Bob, did you do any R&D uh, tax? Did, was there any incentives? Yes, yes, we've got an R&D, and we have got an innovative UK grant as well. Now, those the components there, university, R&D tax support, and innovative, innovative UK, UK yeah. grant, yeah. Though that's quite a, a healthy mix, isn't it? Is it easy for businesses, do you think, to achieve that mix? What, what, what are the, uh, is, it, is, it, is the policy sufficiently uh, uh, progressive to allow lots of research and innovation to come forward? Um, yeah. yeah, yes and no. Um, the, uh, the, the, the products and services are there, so things like Innovate UK uh, grants and assistance from your own uh, accountants, solicitors with, um, with, with, with the, the policies uh, being put in place by government and the support being put there. Um, but it's accessing it, which can be quite complicated for businesses. Mm -hmm. And as I'm, I'm, I'm sure Bob will say, filling yeah. in the forms can be somewhat complicated. So it's uh, it, it's really good to get proper advice and guidance when uh, when completing those forms and understanding what the funding uh, ca can help you with and what you can do with it. And what was your take on it? What's your experience? yeah? I mean, the process was very robust. You're quite you're quite right, Martin. The the, the, the actual application and submission of, of of to Innovate UK is a quite a complex arrangement. So we had a lot of help by Teesside University who have actually been successful with Innovate UK and know all the protocols and the procedures to get a, a, a grant award basically. But yeah, it is, it is, if you didn't have, if we didn't have the help of the university, we would have had to go to a specialist consultant, uh, accountant. Now, at Teesside University and in the West Yorkshire area, there are other universities that are 
similar in the way the, the, their structure is uh, when it comes to business facing. The, the Russell Group universities tend sometimes to be more academic and fe featuring the, uh, the students' aspirations, but quite often the universities like Teesside are looking at their own business community. What's it like in uh, West and Mid Yorkshire for university times? Yeah, we're, it's well, we we um, have Huddersfield University, which is in our area, and then obviously there are there are a number in Leeds with Leeds Beckett and Trinity and Leeds University itself, um, and the support they offer businesses is um, is fantastic, really, especially on the innovation side of things it would, to do with in particular health services uh, in Huddersfield and Leeds with the uh, the, the the financial tech sector uh, in particular. Um, but I do think it's important to understand that, that, that innovation doesn't only happen in universities. It happens in businesses and more innovation happens in businesses. But if we can tie that in with the specialist support from universities, the, the economy will grow quicker in the north. And across the whole of the north of England, I mean, if you just look at the, the great universities that we've got, you know, from 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 Hull to Liverpool, up to to Newcastle and uh, in Leeds and down to Sheffield, uh, especially there's some great support available to our businesses. All right, now let's move on away from the specifics of your case, uh, Bob, and, and just look at uh, what's coming up in in the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to have the Chancellor's autumn statement, and now yes. that gives the chance of the government to sort of set an agenda uh, for yeah. the coming twelve mm -hmm. months. Now, um, Martin, the Chamber of Commerce will obviously have a view on what it wants the government to do. Now, away from the sort of headline-grabbing, uh, you know, income tax rates and so on, what is the Chamber in Mid-Yorkshire saying? The Well, we've just done our quarterly economic survey, which we've been uh, sort of undertaking for the last 30 years, so there's sort of 30 years of data behind this, which gives us a real indication of what businesses are thinking. And uh, for quarter three of this year, um, we're, we're seeing some more positive signs from businesses. We're seeing domestic sales are down slightly, but exports are up considerably uh, from where they've been in both servicing and manufacturing uh, sectors. And investment has uh, is showing signs of people are thinking it, uh, about it again when they've um, when they've not been thinking about it. Of interest rates have been rising because of the uh, the, the, the costs of the service that they offer. Um, so what business likes more than anything is stability. It likes to know what's going to happen next as far as possible. Um, so interest rates, it's a strange time to use them. At the same time, we're trying to get businesses to invest. We're making money more expenses to access for them. Um, and indeed for individuals suffering from the cost of living crisis, we're taking money out of the market. So stability is what we'd like more of in the future. Uh, we would like to see more in the north. So the cancellation of HS2 um, was disappointing because of the lack of ambition, but it gives us a real opportunity to get that transport system across the north in terms of uh, you know all, all transport, so trains, buses, uh, and cars as well. Um, whilst we're still um, uh, we're still able to use them. Um, it, it gives us a real chance to invest in that to really um, level up the north of England. Okay, that's a fair point well made. Let's pick up on some of those things and ask you a general question. What would you, if you were Chancellor today and you were putting the budget or the autumn statement together, is there anything you would pick on that you think would make a difference? Yeah, I wouldn't put fuel up, fuel duty. Yes, of course. That's selfish from my point of view yeah. because putting fuel duty up defeats the object to a certain degree because mm. that, that is inflationary. And, and your business has fleets of quite heavy vehicles. Yeah, we've got it? 50 vehicles, so... 
it's not just the vehicles, it's the plant that uses white diesel now. Mm. So we've got a double compounded issue there with that. Right. For one time we could have used, it was using red diesel in the plant, but obviously it's using white diesel now. So Yeah, which is double the amount. Well, it's compounded things for us in terms of a business to actually re-strategize that cost. Mm. And obviously that cost's got to go to, well, it ends up in, in to customers. Does the Chamber of Commerce have a view on the sort of restricted car zones? I mean, I, I hear... I was listening to another podcast where there were some thinkers from local councils. One of them was uh, in your area. I won't name names. Um, and the woman was just saying, of course, we want to discourage people from using cars. And it's sort of a, a sort of knee-jerk, we want to discourage people from using cars. But people choose to use cars. They're, they're, they're universally um, uh, uh, adopted in many, many mm -hmm. towns where there, there aren't fast transport systems. Uh, and, of course... Um, they enable you to get where you want to go, when you want to go. So just to sort of say, as a, and this person worked as a senior officer in a council, we want to discourage car use. It, it's had a lack of sophistication about it. Yes, I think that there's a real danger with, uh, with local authorities and, you know, councillors on local authorities declaring climate emergencies um, without consulting with uh, uh, with with businesses and with other organizations that are key employers is a dangerous thing to do but that doesn't mean that businesses don't want to do things in a greener way mm. they want to do as much as they can um, in general to do things greener and so anything that restricts um, businesses being able to to move about the region um, is seen as a promise by businesses if you take out parking spaces their staff and themselves still need to get into work and so not having a parking space makes that harder. And if the public transport system um, isn't up to scratch in that area, uh, then it it creates a problem and it increases the costs of the business. And at the moment, we've got virtually full employment and people will work where it's easier for them to get to as part of their decision on on on, on deciding where they want to work. Yeah, and, and, and as far as car parking hubs for car parking maybe having central central of uh, parts of town with pedestrian only or fast fast links as maybe would be possible now in leeds particularly as a result of the uh, hs2 cancellation maybe that is a more uh, rational uh, way of approaching it than just blanketly picking your favored uh, form of transport and mm. saying that's where it all goes that's my view what's your view on that? yeah i think connectivity is very important like martin said about you know obviously we need full employment and that connectivity is essential it's 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 good to know that there is funds coming into certainly the regions with hs2 sort of the the, the plug being pulled on hs2 and and they are investing in the north and they're upgraded connective uh, transport system it's essential interestingly our, our podcast sponsor is virtual motors <laughs> and uh, they were on um, national radio this week explaining how as a result of the ules mm. and the uh, the opinion mm. that ules has that uh, diesel cars will not be able to get into london that isn't mm. true actually mm. there's a diesel car can mm. they are moving a lot of their diesel cars for sale in the north where yeah. we're able to pick them up and we don't have yeah. A, yeah. any kind of any point of view against yeah. them yeah. yeah absolutely um martin let's not uh, let's not focus entirely on that um skill shortages are also issues for your members aren't they uh, what is the most common way that members are overcoming skills shortages how are they meeting the challenge uh, most common way is paying more. Mm. <laughs> um, that's so it, that's it, more money for the same skills sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, and, and and this is this is inflationary. This is the issue: is that um, 
that when uh, when labour becomes uh, more required, then the, the, the cost of it goes up. Um, and people will move away, around more frequently to to earn more money uh, in those, in particular, lower level skills, but higher level um, skilled jobs um, where they're required. Um, and so it's, it's very difficult. Um, the, the, there's two different approaches, um, which I'm hearing, which are, number one, people are investing in training their staff more in their own training programs uh, and investing. Um, and to counter that, there's an awful lot of people uh, not investing in training because they think that if they train someone, then as soon as they're trained, they will go somewhere else to earn more money. And so we've got to find the right balance with that. We've got to, to find the right the right um, um, uh, level uh, of pay for the jobs that are required. I mean, there is, we've been working on a local skills improvement plan. So we, over the last few months, we've spoken to uh, just over a thousand businesses at what they, what they believe their skills will be uh, needed in their business in the coming years, um, which is a, a very difficult thing for a business to articulate. So what they tend to do is tell you what jobs they've got available now that they can't recruit um, for, which of course is helpful in, in, in its own uh, in its own way. And those sort of sectors are the ones that we all know about: um, health and social care, construction, uh, log logistics, and um, education, financial professional services. They're all struggling, um, and if we don't uh, get a grip on, on on inflation, those pressures mean that it's, it costs us a lot more money to export and to sell our services on. Martin, are you coming across members, and, and I, I would be if I was being asked by you in a survey, that are now exploring new technologies, uh, AI particularly. I run a white-collar type of business, PR firm and so on, and we've had a skills mix review and uh, looking at where AI fits into the matrix in the next year or so, with a view to assisting people um, on both productivity and also greater advanced uh, products. Yeah, the the, the design um, element in particular. Um, so, you know, high level engineering in particular, but a rather surprising area is professional services. Mm. More and more um, accountants and solicitors are looking at how they use products that you use at AI or developed by AI um, to do some of the, um, the, um, the the groundwork that they used to have to do themselves. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm having you know basic core uh, scripts and things written by AI before we start talking. This is not AI, I am a real person. <laughs> um, well, look, Martin, thank you very much. Um, thank you for joining thank us down the line. It's great to have Mid-Yorkshire Chamber in. It's got a, it's a great, I mean, it is really an area where commerce in this country uh, was right at the forefront, isn't it, Mid-Yorkshire? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Martin. Uh, and Bob, I hope the bricks go well. Thank you very much, Graham. See you soon. Thank you. Now, let's turn to my colleague, Josh Havakin, and see who he's talking to in this episode of Northern Business Podcast. Thank you, Graham. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Patterson, who's the Chief Executive at Anyone. Thank you very much for joining us, Stephen. Thank you for having me. So... Viewers and listeners of the podcast might remember a few weeks ago, I was up in Newcastle where anyone was launching his document as it looked to um, be re-elected to represent and support the businesses of central Newcastle for the next five years. Stephen, I've got to ask, how did the vote go? Uh, very well. Businesses have voted 93% in favour of renewing anyone for a further five-year term. That term will start next April. Um, the 1st of April, running from five years to 2029. 
Um, so myself and the team, obviously, we're delighted with the strength of that yes vote, first Absolutely. and foremost, foremost. And it provides a really strong mandate to push on and deliver further for the businesses of Newcastle over the next five years. Congratulations for a start. Um, so some of the things that you've done over the last uh, five years has been very helpful to uh, businesses in Newcastle. But can you outline for maybe people who don't head up to Newcastle what it is that anyone does to help businesses there? Well, we deliver on, uh, on behalf of our businesses across three core areas. The first being stronger voice for business, really championing their issues and their priorities, both at the strategic and an operational level. Mm-hmm. Uh, trapping and promoting is the second area, you know, putting on events uh, that bring people into the city centre and making sure everybody within our catchment area knows what's going on. Uh, and the last but not least uh, of the three areas is operations. That's getting the basics right, you know, cleaner, greener, safer. So those are the three core areas where we deliver as a company on behalf of our business. Excellent. So obviously the businesses are very happy with the work that you've done in the, in the last five years in previous terms. Look into the future. What are your plans and ambitions for this next term, the next five years? On attracting and promoting, we're delighted that the city will be hosting uh, the Euro 2028 Cup Finals here at St. James's Park. Wow. Uh, it's a fantastic partnership we've got between ourselves, uh, the city council, and obviously the football club in terms of what goes on uh, on the pitch, inside the stadium, but also importantly, what that civic welcome looks like uh, for the fans coming here. So that's that's probably one of the biggest things that we'll see over the next five years. Beyond that, it's really about capitalising on the opportunities. We've got 15,000 workers moving into East Pilgrim Street. Uh, We've got the uh, conference and exhibition centre across in Gateshead. And it's about how we as a city really maximise those opportunities and the influx of people uh, that will bring into the city centre. And yes, uh, beyond that, it's about how do we keep the streets clean? How safe does it feel? and how green is our city. So yeah, those are really, I suppose, the big headline things moving forward. Very exciting. The future's definitely bright for for Newcastle, isn't it? Um, If we have a bit of a retrospect, um, you've been doing this for a little while now. What are some of the, what are your highlights? What's been some of the things that anyone's been involved in that you've thought, I'm really proud to be in that? Right, Craig, where to start? Um, Probably with, project that is very much live at the moment and uh, being blunt about it it's a nightmare because grey streets dug up and that works continuing um, but the city centre transformation program is very much something anyone has been a huge part of over the last five ten years and it's and it's secured 37 and a half million pounds worth of investment in uh uh, the public space, the, the public realm in the city. Uh, and we're seeing that work transpire at the moment. So uh, I would very much hope to be speaking to you in five years' time saying, doesn't it all look fantastic and it's all complete? Uh, and the city is firing on all cylinders. And probably from a personal level, I would say Newcastle Restaurant Week, we would have this 
city in the UK to do restaurant week. It's an American concept uh, that originated in New York. We very much borrowed and modified the concept for here in Newcastle. Um, but when you think you have cities as far away as Southampton, <laughs> Southampton and Aberdeen doing that, uh, uh, and 101 in between, I think that's that's had a really big impact, uh, not just on Newcastle, but the cities adopted. It's a great way of shouting and celebrating uh, your culinary expertise in the city. Absolutely. And just on that final point that you mentioned on, on Restaurant Week, I guess part of your role is getting people to think of Newcastle in a different way and people who've never been to Newcastle to come along. Now I'm from the northeast, I've been to Newcastle countless numbers of times. But every restaurant week, I head up, I try something different and it's about, you know, getting out there and showing people what, what there is. So you th- I think you're doing a brilliant job, Steve, and obviously the businesses that you work with do as well. They've re-elected you again for another five years. So just a, a final note to say congratulations. Well done. And uh, we're going to go back to Graham now, back in the studio. So thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on the Northern Business Podcast, I'll be tagging my colleagues on my LinkedIn and feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time for the Northern Business Podcast. Never miss an episode. Like, rate and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.